From Phil's VTech comes a weekly digital series where he shares his insights, concepts, and findings learned during his 15-year journey of working in the entertainment industry. Each lesson offers you a roadmap to overcome the challenges that all artists face on the path to success. Welcome to Phil's VTech Podcast. Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, and welcome to my series where I give a lot of lessons for creatives in both kind of self-help, but also in terms of uh, technique. But every now and then, I like to bring on various people that I know that I'm lucky enough to consider both friends, but also people that are doing amazing stuff as artists in their own right. And today, I have Emily Krempholtz with me, and um, and she is... Um, I've talked about her in my various vlogs because she's been editing my novel. And so anytime I mention Emily, well, this is the infamous Emily. And, you know, there's a lot more to her than that, but we'll kind of unpack that as we go along. But um, I guess might as well, like, start there. Like, um, I I think it's very – like, there's so many weird coincidences um, in terms of us. Like, we both have the same birthday. Yep. But it was – I know that one. What is it? You're left-handed, right? We're both left-handed. I am left-handed, yes. Um, <laughs> but I guess let's let's start with something kind of how we met and what I think is also a practical takeaway for people. So, uh, you know, you had applied for the editor position on my Upwork post. And, you know, one of the things, like just the way your cover letter was written, I, I could tell like you were someone I wanted to work with. And I th- feel like a lot of people when they apply to stuff, they just do it very generically. Um, and it doesn't serve them. So can you just talk about it from that perspective? Because you are, uh, in that sense, a freelancer who is applying to multiple things. So, I, you know, from your perspective, you know, how do you approach the application process? So for me, kind of the application process with a, a lot of things with, you know, with, you know, in, in all in freelancing and a lot of kind of areas of my job is trying to see the people on the other end as people and trying to get them to see me as a person. Um, I think the sooner you can get out of that kind of generic trap of, of saying like, here are my qualifications and here is, you know, what I know how to do and here are the softwares I know how to work with. And the sooner you can get into somebody saying, this person sounds intriguing and I'd like to chat with them a little bit more just to see if I'd like to work with them. I think that does half your work for you. Um, yeah, I, I generally my my goal with sending out cover letters and sending out query letters is, is to get somebody to say, hey, you have a voice that I want to hear and I'd really like to talk to you more. Um, so that's kind of <laughs> my my yeah. trick of the trade, I think, there. <laughs> yeah. And do, do you like do you have any kind of notion why people go the generic route? Is it is it laziness you feel like or I don't you just feel like if they just like the quantity of it they put out, they feel like something's going to stick? Yeah, I think it's a number of things. I think when you're just starting out, um, you know, if you don't have that much of a portfolio, you don't you don't feel like it can speak for itself. So you're really trying to lay down all of the I know how to do this and I know how to do this and this is what I can do and I can do this. Um, but it kind of I don't know, it, it kind of puts the, the emphasis on 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 you as the freelancer rather than on as the person that you're trying to do things for. You know, um, I feel like it's 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 more of a dependency thing and it's more of a nervousness thing. And really, especially with a a platform like Upwork, where you have a profile that really goes into depth with all of your previous work, with your portfolio, with your profile, you can kind of let that speak for itself. And then you can kind of reach out and say, hey, look at all this stuff over here that's already there for you. Here's what I want to say to you specifically. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, um, not to kind of essentially like negate the advice you just gave, but what is it like, <laughs> what is it that you quote unquote do? Like how, just summarize it in that sense of like, all the various things that you have to offer for people. Well, uh, if you look over here to my hat rack where you will see all the hats that I wear. Um, so primarily these days I'm a literary editor. Um, I, I help people take their book that they've written, whether it's a memoir, whether it's a novel, whether it's an ebook that they're selling for their business, and I help them make it better. Um, I also kind of fall under the writing coach umbrella a little bit, um, whether people have an idea for a book, if they're really trying to, you know, put something together and they say, I have this great concept, I'm just really bad at characters, or I just can't make this plot work, or, you know, something about this, you know, this doesn't work and I need help. Um, I kind of I come in as a book doctor there for people. Um, as an editor, there's really kind of three areas really that I kind of fall into. There's developmental editing, um, which, you know, usually is when people have a first draft or when they have an outline and they, they give it to me and I look at it from a very high vantage point, looking down, um, kind of saying, you know, here's where I see problems with the plot. Here's where I see problems with characterization. Here are some things that just don't really stick in my head and don't really make a lot of sense that we kind of might want to tweak before we go forward and do some more work on it. Um, and that really is, you know, really, really structural, really basic kind of let's get the big picture together. Um, the next step is line editing, which is more in depth. It's in the draft itself usually. Um, and I go through and I break down sentences and I say, you know, this isn't working. You know, we're going to change this sentence. We're going to, I'm sure a lot of this sounds very familiar to you. <laughs> because yes, we've it done does. It does. Um, it does. But for, you know, I think, um, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. And in some sense, like, uh, yeah, like it, it would be interesting for me to have this kind of type of interview in hindsight, you know what I mean? Because I mean, luckily for, you know, you sort of guided me in the process, but uh, it was very much a new process for me. And, uh, you know, admittedly, it's like kind of one of those interesting things, Al although I'm the client and it's like, here's what I want. There's a side of it, like, at least for me, I, I always knew that I had to have a humility about it. And say like this is I, I'm a storyteller, but I've never written a novel, and so I have to kind of, you know, kind of put some trust in other people and, and go at their guidance because they know more than I do. And, and so, that's so important. I think it's I think that's one of the most important parts of of what I do on both my side and my client side is you know everybody has to kind of put their pride aside there and be willing to admit when they're wrong. You know, a lot of times I'll make a suggestion and a writer will be like, no, I don't want to do that. And here's why. And I have to be able to say, okay, that's, I understand that. And I see that you have, you know, a method to your madness, but I also expect that they do that for me too. Um, and it's very much, you know, storytelling is such a fluid kind of a thing in and of itself. Um, you know, there is no one right way to do any of it. Um, and so I feel like that's a really important Thing for everyone to be aware of going into that process, whether it's, you know, screenwriting or whether it's writing a novel or telling bedtime stories to your kids. It's <laughs> yeah. What's been, you know, in that, in that sense, what's been the, the project that you're like most proud of that perhaps was like out of the wheelhouse for you? And, um, and in that sense, like that just feels like it was a cool project, but it was so like not you, quote unquote. Oh, man, there's been a lot of them. I've really I've I don't know. I feel like I've stretched myself in a lot of really weird ways that I never anticipated. Um, oh, I don't know. But OK, so so in that sense, what's been the takeaway? Right. Like so, you know, you, you do a new different sort of project and it, it's not like, let's say, something that you would like pick up and write. But again, from that perspective, just 
breaking that down further, how do you like approach it so that way it's not like, oh, this is how I would want it to be written versus like, let me let me enhance what the client is doing. Because, you know, from my perspective, like the end result of everything that you did was never in opposition of what my vision was. And so I think that's a, you know, kudos to you. But I'm trying to figure out like the, <laughs> the, the, the process of how you get there, because I think a lot of people go the flip side, you know, they, they view it from their perspective rather than the client. And I think that's, you know, that's the difference between editing and writing. I'm a writer as well. And I have my own very distinct style. I just have to know that when I'm working with someone else's work, my style doesn't matter. Um, You know, I, that's why I I always ask for a writing sample before I, you know, accept a job from people. I always kind of like try to get a feel for who those people are and how they want to say things and sort of the spirit of the story that they're trying to tell, whether it's a memoir of their own life or something that they, you know, made up it's you know as fiction um and then I think the trick there is really just kind of you know knowing what it's supposed to be as a whole and then always keeping that in mind so that you can kind of try and make sure that every line that I suggest for that piece kind of falls into that methodology and in that you know you know I, I can't think of the word I'm thinking <laughs> Isn't it funny how sometimes, you know, like you uh, use words like so often and then all of a sudden you have to say them out loud. But like, when I need them, the... no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I, I feel the same way. But but I, I also think that um, in a large sense, I, I guess, you know, this this kind of just speaks to the act of writing in a lot of a lot of ways. I, 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 you know, there's a part of me that feels bad in some sense because like with social media, everyone's just like typing out their thoughts and there is no revision process. And, you know, you can look to people like Tim Ferriss and things like that. And, like, the revision process in itself really hones your thinking. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I don't know, from a, I don't know, like, just ideological standpoint, can you talk about, like, the power of writing and, and, and I guess, specifically editing as well? Um, I mean, just to kind of speak to what you're saying, I think, honestly, a lot of meaning uh, comes from the revisions process. Um, I always tell writers a first draft doesn't have to be good. It just has to be there. You can't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember who said it, but you can't fix a blank page. It's, you know, it's, it's all about just getting those thoughts out and getting them there. And then the revisions process is really where you hone those things and really where you give them meaning. Um, I was just this morning looking over, I went back and found the first draft of the first three chapters that you sent me for your book. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. The way that that's changed in that time and kind of some of the back and forth that we had talking about revisions and talking about the relationships between those characters that I see now. Well, uh, just for context, like th- those three chapters don't even exist pretty much. I know. <laughs> like we, we just said, like, let's just start the story at essentially chapter four, because like that is that that's where we're yep. good. Um, so it's yeah, it's but go ahead, continue. I just want to give it some context. No, yeah, no, it's it's. So it's interesting to kind of see the way that those things have changed. And, you know, looking at those original first three chapters that you wrote, I can see the seeds planted of what there what is there now, but it just had it hadn't grown yet. Um, And, you know, that that first draft process, that writing process is so, so, so important. And for a lot of people, it's the most fun, Um, you know, because you're really you're coming up with all these ideas and you're just kind of spitting them out onto the page. And it it can be that's where you really get into that flow. And that's where you really get into that creative groove. Um, but I think a lot of people really discount the importance of the revisions process. And I get a lot of people who, who say, okay, I wrote this book and I'm going to publish it in a month. So I need you to edit this book so I can self-publish it in a month. And I'm like, Ooh, that's a very tight timeline, my friend. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you think, okay, so I, I've talked with a number of, of creatives in this perspective, and, and it's something that I'm very curious about. Like, I have a friend named Jeff, and he's, he's a screenwriter, and he just desperately wants to, like, go make his movie. Uh, and, you know, I was talking with uh, Mark McGinnis, who's, um, who has a podcast called 21st Century Creative, and he talks about how, like, the last 20% of, of a creative pursuit is really for the audience and less about you. And so do you think it's like that just inkling of people just want to just be done with it? And how do you essentially combat and, – uh, well, and, and I guess two things, right? How do you combat that? And B, at what point do you know, like, this is as good as it can be um, versus, like, I'm just, I'm just tapped out? Oh boy. So that, I think it's a deeply personal thing. Um, I think it's different for everybody. Um, I recently took a class with uh, Eleanor Brown, who is a novelist, and she said something that really stuck with me. Um, it was, you know, you're done when you stop making changes to make things better and you start making changes just to make things different. Um, you know, I think I think you reach a point where you're you're getting so down into the nitty gritty of changing a word here, or, you know, removing an adjective or doing like very little things. But when you don't have anything substantial that you're working on and you're just kind of changing things because you're afraid to let it go, that's when you kind of need to step back and say, okay, I've done everything that I possibly can, and that that has to be good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's that's a really good perspective. Um, you know, for me, it's interesting because I don't like if I look at I know there's changes that we have to address with my novel um, and I'm going to get to them. But at a certain point, like I, I feel like with this like next round of changes, like for my money's worth, I feel like I'm going to be done. Not I, I think a because like a I'm slightly over it. <laughs> it's been a number of years. But B, like I, I want to take all this stuff that I have learned and it's like I have new ideas and apply them to that. You know what I mean? And like yeah. start getting some of this out. So I don't know. Maybe uh, I could be completely wrong and. And I, you know, in my own projects too, I'm definitely, I'm in the revision stage of a novel at, at, right now and I'm kind of getting ready to query and I'm at the point where I, I'm having trouble letting, you know, taking my claws out of it and handing it off to someone else. And, and it's very, it's a weird thing because I, I want it to be the best it can be, but I also need, I want to move on. I want to write the next book. I want to, you know, I want to work on other projects. I have so many ideas in my head and so many things I want to be doing. But so it's, it's, it's an interesting balance to strike. What is, um, you know, before we get into, I guess, specifics of your own work, like, how is it different? Because you being someone that edits, how is it different when all of a sudden now it's your work? Um, do you, do you like self edit in that way? And like, how do you take feedback from others? I, I'm just curious, you know, it's always an interesting thing. It is a nightmare. <laughs> no, um, I, I am a very stringent self-editor. Um, I do multiple, multiple passes of my own work. Um, I send it to readers. Um, it's, you know, with a reader right now. And when she's done, we'll have a, a nice long book club session about it. And, you know, I'll take notes. We'll talk about it and I'll address those changes. Um, generally, I do most of the line editing and kind of proofreading stuff on my own. Um, I always kind of give myself like a week or two in between passes to let it become kind of foreign to me again. So I can look at it with a fresh set of eyes and not with, you know, the mindset of like, Oh, I just saw this last week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of my own advice goes out the window when I'm working with my own book, which is, I am fully aware of it. And it's, it's funny, but <laughs> 
I think that's where, you know, when you're working on something, having somebody else look at it, it doesn't matter if they're an industry professional or just a, a friend or that you're, you know, you're meeting for lunch or something, having another pair of eyes on it is always important because you always need a perspective that's not yours. Yeah. And how do you assess the validity of like those perspectives? So like, you know, the, the, the test readers that you have, um, you know, is, is there a certain percentage that you always kind of end up taking or like, you know, obviously you kind of hand select what, what works and what doesn't, but like, uh, I guess like for me, I, I always just go like, A, can I change it? Even like sometimes there's an idea that someone pitches to me and this is more with like filmmaking, but they'll be like, Hey, you should change this. And it's like, well, like I really can't. Cause I don't like, for example, if they're like, you should use a different shot. It's like, if I don't have another shot, I like the idea. But I, can't I gotta change. work with what I have. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's there's a component of that, but then other times I'm like, ooh, this this is a good idea, but it's just it, I, it, 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 it's something else completely. So, how do you make that assessment? Um, I mean, no one knows your work better than you. You know, you you always have to to know that in yourself. And if somebody makes a suggestion that sounds wrong to you in some way, then you know, I trust my gut. Um, but a lot of times I've found really, you know, the people that the people that I'm choosing to read my work and the people that I'm I'm trusting with this and saying, hey, give me advice are people whose opinions I really respect. I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by a community of really, really talented, creative people. Um, so a lot of my readers are writers themselves and they you know, understand the craft of storytelling and they're able to turn around and give me really, really good suggestions. And um, you know, usually when they give me one that sounds right, I just know it immediately. I just think, oh yeah, that's right. That fits right into the world I've created. That fits right into these characters. You know, that that just feels right. Um, and those are the ones that I tend to go with. And then if I also, if I, if I hear something I don't want to hear and I hear it from multiple people, I have to take that into account too, even if I don't want to. <laughs> Fair enough. And so uh, how would you describe the stuff that you write? Is it like, does it span genres or is it a specific genre? Um, so... I love the fantasy genre. Um, I love mythology and lore and kind of bringing that sort of stuff into the real world. So uh, the book I'm working on now is a contemporary fantasy. Um, and it kind of brings a lot of Irish Celtic myth and, and a lot of other kind of like historical mythologies into the real world. Um, having a lot of fun with it. I like to think I'm a comedic writer, but I will let readers be the judge of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, a, a lot of what I read is is very character driven. And so I tend to bring that into to the work that I write as well. Um, and I always joke, you know, I'm, I, I prefer, I'm, I'm sorry, this may offend you, but I prefer TV over movies usually because I like how much oh, yeah. it is able to, <laughs> it's able to get into the characters' heads and it's able to get into the stories. And so I think that really, you know, reflects on me as a writer. I, I, I love character driven plots. <laughs> Awesome. And um, what are some of like the books that have influenced you most? And it could be both fiction and nonfiction. Um, I mean, I'm primarily a fiction reader. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm a millennial who reads. So Harry Potter, obviously. But um, other things, I, I read a lot of books like The Hobbit from a very young age. Um, and I've read them at kind of different points in my life, um, uh, where I've been able to take away different things from them, which is great. Um, Louisa May Alcott's Little Women definitely had a huge impression on me as a child and, and, and as an adult, the new movie was fantastic. Um, uh, oh man, I don't know. I really love books. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Those are my dogs. That's what we get for working from home. 
Um, I know. Would uh, you say, I know um, you and I have kind of talked about in the past, as I recall, about uh, Rules for Writers by uh, Stephen King. Would you say, like, mm-hmm. as far as writing is concerned, is that, like, your go-to um, book? Or, like, at the time, that was just, like, a, a one that you, you, you pointed to me of, like, hey, here's some good stuff. He's, I mean, it's a great one. Right now, my favorite, yeah, I'll show it to you. My favorite uh, book on writing is Dreyer's English, which is mostly just based on, on craft and usage. And it's really kind of funny. And there's a lot of really good stuff in here, you know, about, you know, how to use a semicolon. And they, I don't know, it's just, there's a lot of good stuff in there about commonly misused words and phrases and punctuation and all sorts of nerdy crap. But, uh, but uh, it definitely, no, I mean- it changes on a on an ongoing basis based on what I'm looking for and kind of what's new and what I have on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever read uh, Curious um, Stephen Pressfield's War of Art? I have not. That's good. Um, I think you would War like it. Um, yeah, the, and the reason I ask um, because especially like you know when you were describing your book about all the or the various lore, I imagine. Uh, that you, you know, you do some research and things like that. And so what I'm curious about is the, the, the balance between research and just allowing it to become procrastination or <laughs> like Stephen Pressfield, he basically says like it's resistance with a capital R. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, like where, where is that fine line for you of research? It it does. It barely exists. <laughs> um, you know, I I get so stuck in weird Wikipedia rabbit holes all the time. You know, I I a couple months ago, I remember I was looking up for one tiny specific scene that like had nothing to do with the plot. But I had a character that works in a cemetery. And so I was looking up like the process of setting up a grave before you, you know, lower it before you fill it. Um and I, I spent like two hours watching really weird YouTube videos and it just, it, it got very strange. And then I went back to write it and I was like, cool, glad I just spent two hours so I could write these two sentences. Um, <laughs> it's very, I think it really kind of depends on your state of mind at the time. And sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I feel like that procrastination is just part of the process. I don't think I've ever met a writer who can sit down and just write without, you know, at any time all the time without being distracted and without falling victim to that. So I think it's just kind of part of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, like, it's a, I, like the self-deprecation, yeah, is definitely a little bit part of it. I love, like, Neil Gaiman has a fun process where, um, A, he still writes, like, by pen, uh, at least his first drafts, but he has that rule of, like, I can either sit here or I can write, but I can't do anything besides sit here or write. And, you know, he gives himself permission to, like, enjoy and look around, but, like, he can't, like, check his phone or whatever else. So it, it just um, fascinates me. Uh, so I guess, it, you know, kind of on, in that line of thinking, like, what are what are your writing habits for yourself? Um, so I track all my time, uh, which is something I started doing a couple of years ago because I, I track all my time for work anyway. And so I the more that I can treat my writing like a job, um, the better I you know, the, the more I can hold myself accountable to it. Um, I have like a, here's my, my planner. I have like little like bullet note lists and I have like check boxes for every day. I work on my book right now. I have a check. I can only check the box if I remove a thousand words from my manuscript because it's very, very long. Um, so, you know, I have, I have kind of ways of keeping myself on track, lots of lists, that kind of thing. 
Um, but generally I try and schedule writing. Um, I try to tell myself, okay, I'm going to work until, you know, three o'clock today and then I'm going to get some work done. When quarantine started, I was doing a lot of work in the middle of the night because I found that none of my friends and family were awake. And so they weren't texting me and I could actually get stuff done without being distracted. Um, because I absolutely, you know, I'm one of those people who's like squirrel. Oh, look at that. Like, you know, (laughs) um, so yeah, I had a hard time with that, but everybody's kind of chilled out and found, found some kind of a rhythm at this point. Um, so it's less of a new crazy thing. But yeah, mostly scheduling it and mostly trying as much as I can to treat it like a job, even if, you know, writing my own books isn't quite paying the bills yet. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think um, I forget the term, right? But, but there is that notion, like, even if you're not being paid for, you can still be a professional without mm-hmm. being paid because of how you approach it versus like, oh, I'll just write, you know, twice a month type of thing. Like, that's a very mm-hmm. amateur way of approaching it. And it's never going to, you know, it's it's not going to yield you the results that you would like. Yeah. You know, it's like the dress for the job you want kind of a thing. It's, you know, you when you're in the mindset of this is something important, I'm doing something important, then you're going to create something better than, you know, if you're just saying, oh, I'm just doing this for fun or, oh, you know, I'm just doing this because I have the time or I'm only going to do it when inspiration strikes me because inspiration does not strike as much as everybody wants it to. <laughs> you got to force it sometimes. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, I have, I I know various people and myself included, I I should also mention, but, um, you know, where we feel like we have this, these ideas there and they're so amazing. And like, for whatever reason, we all of a sudden start protecting them rather than working on them. And Mm. it's just interesting to me how that, that is like almost like a default. And it's like, well, A, for the most part, your idea is going to be riddled with cliche. And second, <laughs> it, 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 it's not going to like matter until you actually start to execute it. Cause like mm-hmm. no one's going to, you know, it, it's like, you know, you never should date like dating. You should never date someone for their potential. It's like either mm-hmm. they are someone you want to date or not. So as far as your idea, no one's going to buy the potential of the idea. It's either can you execute it or not? Um, I think there's something to be said for it, I guess. And you know that sometimes I, I have an idea on the back burner and I just kind of like steep it like a cup of tea until it's strong enough to drink kind of a thing. Um, but I also think you're right. You know, it's, you gotta just do it. I know so many people that say they're writers that say that they, you know, are filmmakers that say that they're creatives and they just don't do the thing that they talk about. And, and at a certain point it's like, wow, this is a really cool story that, you know, you've talked about and that you've workshopped in your head and with me multiple times, but unless you do something with it, it's, just in your head and you know you you have to do it yeah as the great Shia LaBeouf once said just do it um, <laughs> absolutely um shoot I had a, I had a kind of uh offshoot qu- oh um I guess I was gonna ask this like how do you how do you keep your ideas because for me like one of the things that I do is like because I, I get barraged in my head with constantly ideas and so I, I'll write them down and sometimes they're about the thing that I'm working on other is like oh this is a cool future project down the line Mm-hmm. Um, and so like part of my trick is to always just be like, well, I'm going to write down that idea and keep it in a place of like ideas for later, but mm-hmm. never lose focus of like, whatever, the, just arbitrary number. These are my five projects that I'm going to focus on right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of curious, like, y- and you can, you can go as nerdy as you want. Like this for me, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, if I just have my phone, I'll dictate it into my phone. Um, if I have a pen and pad, I'll, like just the, the amount of places yeah. I jot down ideas is just insane. 
I have um so I have a, a notebook app that I sync between my laptop and my phone and everything and I, I have different notebooks in there. I have one for my book, I have one for work, I have one, you know, just for random shopping lists and whatever. And then I also have one that's for ideas that I'm workshopping and kind of back back burner stuff. Um and I, 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 I call them plot bunnies, which is a phrase I picked up off the internet circa 2002 or something. I don't know. But so I have like all my little plot bunnies that just sit there collecting more and more fur until they're ready to be worked with. And a lot of times they just sit there and I don't do anything with them. But also at the same time, you know, I'm working on a much larger project and I need to stay focused on that. And that's a whole other bag of chips. Um, but I also, you know, I have, I'm addicted to notebooks. I, there's like a moratorium on me buying more notebooks because my apartment is filled with empty notebooks that I'm, I'm going to use someday, I swear. Um, but, you know, I have a journal that I write things down in. I have a notebook next to my bed where, you know, if I'm reading at night and something strikes me about either the book I'm writing or something I want to do tomorrow or whatever, I just take it off the nightstand and I write it down real quick. Um, I literally have a pen in my hand right now because I'm a weirdo who's addicted to writing things down. I have a post-it addiction. I have millions of colors of post-its that I use for everything. And, you know, it's... So there's notes all over and a lot of them get lost, but a lot of them don't. And those are the ones that end up in my work. So. <laughs> Very cool. Well, speaking of stuff that ends up in your work versus stuff that, like, you know, going back to the idea of the revision process, you know, mm -hmm. part of that is um, the very uh, terribly like term uh, phrase, uh, kill your babies, <laughs> right? <laughs> terrible, terrible phrase, but nonetheless, like, I mean, I also understand it because like from a creative standpoint, you know, you feel like, again, going back to the idea of ideas, every idea is so amazing and things like that, yeah. but eventually to make it really good, it's like, you've got to, you got to kill some babies. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've found interesting is that at least for myself so far, the things that I almost can guarantee at the beginning of every project are like, this is definitely an amazing scene. This <laughs> is a great quote. Never make it. And yeah. And um, and I admit, like in high, it's like it's a, it just doesn't serve the story. There was there was a better way to convey whatever that nugget was, but um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. From how how do you <laughs> kill your babies? Um, very slowly and torturously, and I really probably should put them out of their misery, but I can never bring myself to. Um, like I said, those are one of those things like when I have readers, if I hear the same feedback from more than one person and I don't want to hear that feedback, that's when I have to take, that's when I have to say, oh boy, I got, I got to do something here and it's never fun, but my work is almost always better because of it. Um, generally, I, I never throw, I never throw anything out. I never delete any of my old documents or anything. So I, I work in versions so that I always tell myself, you can go back, you can bring them back. If I don't like it, I can always just bring the scene back. And I very yeah. rarely do. So it's, I think for me, um, that's, that's kind of the way to do it is give myself an out, even if I'm never going to use it. Um, but yeah. Well, <laughs> So speaking of, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times, like as far as our babies are concerned, we always, um, at least, uh, again, I'll just speak for myself, I guess. I, I know a big thing for me was I really loved my protagonist. And I, it, it was almost catharsis where like, I just really wanted to hate my antagonist. But the book was never going to work unless like I actually learned to love my antagonist. Mm -hmm. And can you sort of talk about like, just, I, I guess the premise of just writing really strong characters, because I feel like that's what most people get wrong is the antagonist. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, it comes down to the basic structure of any character is going to be, they have to be a, a three-dimensional person. You know, they have to have something that, that we have, that we can relate to, even if it's something that we relate to in ourselves that we don't like that I think often builds a very strong antagonist. If you see yourself in them a lot, um, it can help kind of build that sort of discomfort with seeing that. Um, but you know, there's the, the basic, every, every character has to want something. Uh, if a character doesn't want anything, then they're not, what's the point of them being in the story? What are they doing? What is, what is the plot? Um, and why are they the ones that need to be telling it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think antagonists. I love antagonists. I love morally gray characters. I love characters who you know antiheroes who you who you want to hate, but you're like, oh no, come here, let me love you. Um, well, and I, guess, I think. Well, so, sorry, not to cut you up. Like, I, I guess we can get specific, right? Because for me, I I like what I'm at least right now very interested in. Like, there's there's never like good and evil for me. There's only perspective. And in a sense, like, that's a cool thing, but it becomes sometimes a little bit difficult to write because at the end of the day, like, people want, I guess, clear division of protagonist and antagonist. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but then, you know, I look, to, I, I look at kind of you and, you know, if you are writing, um, you know, in the fantasy genre, a lot of it is, like, good versus evil. So how do you, you know, to that point, how do you have a little bit of nuance but also make that clear distinction of, like Sauron is absolutely evil. You know what I mean? Like in t if we were talking about Lord of the Rings, right? So I think in the case of Sauron, you know, there's a lot of back material there that kind of shows you the rise of Sauron and what he wanted and everything. Um, I think, you know, like I said, every antagonist has to want something <laughs> that, you know, every antagonist has to say, this is, this is what I want. And this is how far I'm willing to go to get it. Um, and I think, I just completely lost my train of thought. No worries. Give me a second. I'll circle back around. Um, no, I'll for a moment to let you know. Hey. <laughs> Chloe. I'll have her say hi. Yeah, see. Hi, Let's puppy. Oh. It's you have two good. dogs? Am I, am I, is that right? I have two big dogs. One bigger than the other. Aw. Yeah. I love it. We can't dogs in our apartment building and we travel too much not right now obviously but i want a million dogs is what i want so <laughs> yeah, yeah um, traveling gets a little difficult with dogs for sure yeah so until recently oh. it was great just to be like well i'll just love on them when i'm at the park but that's become more difficult nowadays but yeah um antagonists where was i yes uh so uh, yeah, yeah your, antag yeah. your antagonist has to want something um, and I think to really create a compelling antagonist, like I said, you have to be able to make your reader relate to them. You have to be able to see the story from that antagonist's point of view. You know, it's it's not enough for them to want to take over the world. Like they have to have a why. They have to have a compelling reason why. And they have to have stakes. You know, if they don't do this, what happens to them? Why are they doing this at all costs? And and those things have to be just as compelling as your protagonists um, in order for them to be interesting and um i think you know shades of gray are are absolutely the way to go i think it's it's very very possible to have a really really just strictly evil antagonist but you're going to have a much harder time making them relatable and making them believable um you know i think yeah you gotta you gotta make them real and yeah. nobody is i don't think i don't think anybody's truly good or truly evil so you gotta make them rounded <laughs> absolutely 
How do you approach um, outlining for yourself? Uh, or, or, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's a big debate of like, how much should you outline in the writing circles? It's just even the notion of what outlining is um, and all that. And, you know, just to throw another wrench into it. Like, I feel a lot of times like you should focus on the plot. No, you should focus on the characters. And it's like, in my opinion, it's like they're, they're both synonymous because like the characters drive the plot and vice versa. So, yeah, they definitely should be, you know, helping each other at least. <laughs> um, I think so just for people who aren't familiar, there's kind of two schools of thought when it comes to creating a story. Uh, and I don't know, I in in writing a book, we call them the plotters and the pantsers. So people that plot out books and people that kind of fly by the seat of their pants when it comes to a story. Um, I'm definitely a plotter. I like to have an idea of where I'm going. I don't always have that idea when I start writing a story. Um, like my current book was a short story when it started and then it just kind of, you know, I, I thought to myself, this is bigger. And so I kind of took a step back and I thought, how much bigger do I want this to be? Um, but I, like I said, have an addiction to post-it notes. So I tend to like write everything out. I have different colors for characters, different colors for, you know, different plot elements. Um, and then I kind of storyboard it and move things around and kind of see what works. Um, I have some friends who just write until they feel like they have something to say. Um, a lot of a good friend of mine is writing a book right now, and she really just started it as a character study. Um, she created a world for Dungeons and Dragons and thought this is a really fun place to play around in. I'm just going to kind of build some sandcastles in the sandbox and see what comes out of it. And she ended up creating these really cool characters. And now she, you know, is telling me I, I have a plot finally. And she's been working on this for like a year. And she's like, now I have a plot. And that's amazing. And for her, it's just been playing around in there and kind of seeing the dynamics of this world and the ways that these people that she created kind of work together and kind of see what, what kind of shenanigans they can get up to and what the stakes are of those shenanigans. Um, so there's definitely no right or wrong way to do it. I just prefer to be more organized. Like I said, I'm, I like my lists. I like having things to check off. And I like being able to say, all right, this is what I need to do. And this is what I need to write. Even if I break my own rules all the time. <laughs> hey, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it gives you a destination, right? It gives you kind of a, something mm -hmm. to go after. But I mean, it, it's it, in a sense, it's like no different if you said like, hey, I'm going from California to the East Coast. It's like there's multiple ways to get there. And even if you go yeah. like every which way, like as long as you got to the West Coast, you got or the East Coast, you got to the East Coast. Still probably uh, going to be a fun road trip. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, anything sort of else uh, that you want to touch upon that may, maybe we haven't? Um, um, well, I can, okay. I can certainly, um, you know, one of the things, uh, what's kind of um, the most, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe you haven't thought about it, like a quirky uh, piece of writing technique that you're just absolutely in love with, even if you don't use it. So for example, Raymond Chandler, um, I recently heard he wrote on index cards. So that way, and, and what he, the reason why he did that was so that way something happened because he was like, not, like if, if nothing happens on an index card, my story sucks. <laughs> and, and like, I just thought that was like, that was a cool way to write of like just forcing himself to like just insert you know, momentum into his stories. Yeah. I don't think it would work for me necessarily, but I just found it like fascinating. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think there's, I, I, I have a lot of fun with weird writing things. I get distracted very easily and I also get bored with a lot of my te techniques easily. And so I switch it up occasionally. Um, 
like, you know, half the things I've said to you, like, oh, yeah, I schedule writing for myself. Yeah, only sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things I, I definitely do for myself is I save a lot of problems for future Emily. Um, I write what feels good. I write scenes that I enjoy. Um, and if there's something, if I get to a place where I'm blocked, I say, all right, I'm done with this. What do I feel like writing in this scene, in this novel, in this, you know, in this progression of events that is my narrative arc? And I write that next part, um, you know, or I'll go through and just write bullet points or whatever for the scene that I don't feel like writing. And I'll be like, well, that's a problem for future Emily. Um, as present Emily, who is the future of past Emily, I think past Emily was kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> But it it worked, <laughs> got the job done. Um, yeah. <laughs> so oh. that's definitely one of my my favorite little writing techniques and tidbits for when anybody's blocked. I always tell them, I'm like, just move on to the next part that excites you. But yeah. and that pretty much always works. Well, hey, I mean, past Emily could have just been getting drunk and just having a fun time watching TV. So like, at least she did some work. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if present Emily wants to do that? <laughs> Well, then future Emily's not going to be too happy. <laughs> There's always uh, consequences. There is, but I, I, I do agree. Like, I think there is, I, I think we too, sometimes put too much of an emphasis on, like, productivity. And sometimes, like, there is that side of, like, okay, just take a step back and, like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all being creative. So, like, it's mm -hmm. all good if you just yeah. life. And it doesn't matter if what you write doesn't end up in your final product. You know, I, I, I ran into writer's block one day and I was talking to a friend and she said, okay, well, write me a scene where all your characters go to Costco. And I said, all right, so I wrote a chapter where everybody went to Costco and part of it ended up in the book. So it's, you know, it's, you never know what's going to come of it, whether it's just a line of dialogue that you really like or a plot point, you know, where you can take a tangent and go off there, or if it's just a character exercise, you know, if you're using it as an opportunity to get to know the people you're writing about, because the more you know them, the, you know, more forthcoming they're going to be with telling you what they want to be doing in every, any given scenario that you throw them into. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I, for my money's worth, I also think like there's, a, there's like in an interesting way as as writers and storytellers of any kind, right? We want to kind of talk about the world as it is lived, but at the same time, it's like we got to live in it too. And like, you know, not that Hemingway was a perfect guy, but like he seems like a guy that enjoyed life and had something to contribute. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. We, that, that, I, I'm trying to think of somebody else, but like you know, versus like just somebody being holed up and, you know, it might be great that their workout lives them, but mm -hmm. for my money's worth, I want to, I want to contribute, but I also like yeah. want to have a life I lived on my own. Of well. course. Yeah. No, so. that balance is very important. And I think also uh, a big part of that for me is just knowing when to call it quits sometimes too. You know, I, yesterday, for example, I had a miserable day. I was anxious and exhausted and I was trying to get work done and I just ended up sitting in front of my computer and doing nothing for hours and finally I just told myself like you're done you're not doing anything like you're just on Twitter and you're on Reddit and you're just miserable and you're angry at the news and you're angry at the people around you and like, you're not being productive so you know just just telling myself you're done and letting myself off the hook for the rest of the day made me feel so much better and allowed me to wake up this morning ready to get stuff done again um you know I think yeah we, we try to force ourselves to be pro to be productive and we try to force ourselves to get work done, even though we're not always going to get our best work done. And I think we just have to accept that. Yeah. And I, I think in an interesting way, like I, I too have like, uh, you know, to do list, let's just say. But I, I also feel like sometimes that can be detrimental because then you're just too focused on like checking things off. 
versus actually like, oh, let me enjoy the moment. So it's, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, very fascinated. Don't get by... checked off and it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess like in Star Wars, I'm always, I'm, I'm always interested in the balance of the force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely um, needs to be and I'm always, I live for breaking my own rules. I, you know, I, <laughs> I try to, I try to set boundaries for myself and then I immediately walk over them. So <laughs> wasn't it, it, wasn't it Picasso in some sense that said like, you got to know the rules to break the rules. And yep. I feel like a lot of people like try to skip that first part of like, well, I'm going to break the rules. It's like, do you even know what rules you're breaking? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really, you know, to circle back around to kind of what I do with editing too is, is very much. I, f- I find a lot of people that are trying to break the rules without knowing them and the rules first, or without knowing that they are following those rules or not following them. Um, and I think, you know, it's a lot of what I see are people trying to, to subvert genres and to, to subvert tropes and go above and beyond and do something different that they've never seen before without stopping to think, why haven't I ever seen this before? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, you definitely you definitely got to know them before you can go above them and, and play with them a little bit. Um, last question, maybe it's not, not a question, more of like a, a posing of, a, of an idea. But I, I feel like a lot of people to that point, because they want to be so like out of the box and unique, they don't read other stuff. Like, you know, if they want to be novelists um, or watch movies or TV shows, because it's like, well, I don't want to be tainted by that. And to me, yeah. it's like, no, no, uh, like you know that Stephen King quote those who don't read can't write it's because it's like you gotta you gotta know what the cliches are and it speaks to that idea of like you gotta know the rules to break the rules and and, and much like cliches like if you're if you're unaware of the cliches you're gonna write cliches yes um I mean I think you know at this point everything's been done you know and you have to I think you have to accept that and you have to accept that it's not about writing something completely original. It's about taking tropes and taking character archetypes and taking plot points that that have been done and just kind of arranging them in a way that feels unique. Um, but it's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, you can't do that unless you know what's out there, unless you're reading, unless you're watching movies, unless you're engaging with stories that are taking place out there in media and out there in the real world. Um, you know, you gotta, like, again, it goes back to being able to live your life and have that balance too. You know, how are you going to write a compelling story about people living their lives if you don't live yours? If, and how are you going to tell a compelling narrative if you don't understand how a narrative works from the things that you are consuming in the media? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what's interesting, uh, like, I, I think like the script that I'm working on that now you've kind of joined in on, I think that 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 is the theme that I'm very curious about. Because I, I, I often, I'm, I'm amazed when I do find a piece of work that essentially like, manages to find a new door that mm-hmm. is yet undiscovered and like it just mm-hmm. fascinates me and um and that's kind of what what the story we're working on now is a little bit about um yeah all right well uh that's all i have for today um do you want to kind of share where the best way for people to kind of connect with you if you they do want to hire you for coaching or editing or anything like that or just follow you on social yeah. media and check out your work yeah um you can find me on i think most of my social media at this point is writers of rohan um, and my website is emilycrempoltz.com or you can email me at emilycrempoltz at gmail.com. Um, and I don't know if I should spell that one out for you because it's not an easy name. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to. I'll, 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 um, for the benefit of everyone, I, I've, I'll link everything in the, in the description and so forth so you can get it there. But if you want to, you're welcome to spell it out. <laughs> Very good. Fair enough. I try. 
All right. Well, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure.